from the Under Review and Blue Wire Hustle. This is Under Review Radio, a podcast on sports and writing. Welcome back to the Under Review podcast, now renamed Under Review Radio. Finally back after a long hi- hiatus, uh, but we are finally here, and I'm very excited about this episode. Uh, we are joined by a very very special honored guest, uh, Raisa Tolchinsky, past contributor to the under review of two poems in issue three, one of which nominated for a push cart. Uh, Raisa writes about love, grief, and the wisdom of the body. Uh, she's a winner of the Henfield Prize for Fiction um, and has multiple push cart nominees outside of her great poems for the under review. Uh, Raisa received her BA in English Lit and Italian Studies from Bowdoin College and the University of Bologna. She's previously lived and worked in Chicago, New York, Italy, and Iceland and is trained as a boxer. Currently, Raisa is a member of Taproot's inaugural cohort of community ritualists and a Poe Faulkner Fellow in Poe at the University of Virginia, and most recently, and most exciting to us, the winner of the Under Review's inaugural chapbook contest with her incredible chapbook, Number One Deadliest. Raisa, congratulations again. You're not hearing this for the first time, but please act like you are. <laughs> How's it going? Thank you, Terry. It always feels like <laughs> the first time hearing it. Thank you. For sure. We we got so many good uh, submissions for this chapbook contest. We were kind of blown away, actually. But I think I'm going to read some of the notes. I don't know if we're supposed to, you know, sh- share what's behind the curtain. But I just got a <laughs> uh, one note from Megan, um, my co my managing editor, Megan Maloney Vince, read it first and just sent me a note. One, holy shit. This is incredible, ambitious, nauseating, haunting, lyrical, beautiful, arresting. What a stunner. And I can echo everything uh, Megan said for your incredible uh, work of art, again, titled Number One Deadliest. Um, I'm just hoping you can maybe uh, tell us a little bit more um, about this piece, sort of how it came to be, um, and just give us like a little pseudo pitch for our, our listeners who will get a chance to read it, but can't read it yet. Amazing. Well, I'm I'm still taking in that like incredibly kind um, <laughs> list, and like Megan out there, I'm like hope you're feeling better if it was nauseating. <laughs> right. um, it's the yeah. good kind of nauseating. Okay, a good kind of nauseating. <laughs> yeah, I so I wrote this long poem for the incredible poet um, Brian Keir for his class on eco poetics. Um, so I was really thinking about boxing and Lake Michigan. And thinking about how do I bridge basically these like two loves of my life um, while thinking about the like minute particles actually of like what a, what are my boxing gloves made of and what is in Lake Michigan that I might not know about or might not look into is what are the bridges between these two things. Um, and the poet Marie Scarls, who's one of my, my dear, dear friends, was like, look into the materiality of the boxing glove. Like, what is bo- what are boxing gloves even made out of? Um, and that's when I got introduced to the particle uh, polyutherin, which is a kind of plastic, which is also located in Lake Michigan. Um, so it really began as a kind of inquiry into how the landscape is sort of Um, that I had grown up in was really actually still present in this sport. And this kind of coincided during the time I was really stepping away from boxing. Um, And so there was also this movement from the bounded ring, then back to Lake Michigan and the sort of expansiveness around the, around that. So it's kind of a way of grappling, I think, with both of those things and um love gets mixed up in there like what does it mean to bring someone you love to a landscape you love um so yeah that's my that's I think my elevator <laughs> my elevator pitch sure. me. it's it's a great elevator pitch um and yeah you mentioned all that stuff in so the cover letter you sent us when you uh submitted this uh to us a uh, number of months ago and uh ha- hooked us you know right right away um, something I do, you know, love about this, we are, our chapbook contest is open to any, many interpretations of, you know, what a chapbook is, you know, it could be, you know, anthology, uh, multiple genres, uh, more than one piece, you know, um, all kinds of different things. Um, this is about a, you know, depending on formatting, a 30-ish page poem. 
And it can kind of only be a chat book. That's obviously not the reason why it won, but it is interesting uh, thinking about it in those terms. There's not really another format. You could take excerpts of the poem and probably publish them as individual poems, but I don't know that it would necessarily feel as comprehensive. So just in terms of thinking of like poems like this that are of this length, do you have a different approach to writing long poems, book length poems? Um, do you not even really know a poem is going to be a book length poem until far along the process? Um, I feel like I'm asking you an impossible question here, uh, but I am interested sort of on your approach or when you realize that this was going to be more than just like a one page, two page poem. Yeah, that's a really great question. I think the piece that in the question, the piece that stands out to me is the sort of um, like the following of what the work wants to be that I notice sometimes, and I'm even discovering this now and assembling my manuscript of boxing poems, there's this like very rigid sort of idea of how a poem is going to turn out. This uh, poem felt like tapping into this like wellspring almost, like I just kept, it kept moving, it kept morphing and even my research for it, I was writing while I was researching and the research process kept opening like more uh, places that the poem wanted to, to move. So there was a way that by tapping into the narrative and the voice of, of the speaker, which of course is me and also not me, the way that poems are in that kind of mystical way. Yeah, it just kept, it kept kind of opening up and came very easily um, in terms of like the length where I felt like I would dip back in and the pages would come. Um, but I didn't know where this was gonna go at all. Um, and I didn't know how it would end. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, maybe this is just a forever poem. Maybe I will keep working <laughs> on this forever. Yeah, Shira Ehrlichman uh, talks about a, the kind of, some poems come out very easily. She reads this incredible poem in her Verses podcast um, called Somewhere Real. And um, sometimes I think we just get lucky that a poem sort of chooses us and decides to make a home on our, on our page for a while. Well, thank you so much for picking the under review to be the home <laughs> for this poem. And you said you could go on writing it forever. I think we could go on reading it forever. Um, uh, what is, what was the name of the podcast that you just, uh, mentioned? Uh, it's called oh. Verses and it's the episode of Shira Ehrlichman and oh. everyone should listen to it because it's absolutely amazing. I think I listened to it about two or three, four or five times about the great mystery and creativity and all kinds of things. Definitely. We'll drop that in the show notes for sure. You mentioned uh, you have a manuscript of boxing poems. Is that your big project right now or uh, what else are you working on? Yeah, that is, that is my big project. It's been many years, I think, in the making. Um, and it's interesting as I'm in this process of trying to assemble the manuscript to see how much the work has changed in the last three years. Um, I kind of came into UVA with this like, I'm gonna write a, a, a manuscript about women and boxers. And then um, kind of like what we were just talking about, the work continues to surprise me in, yeah, how it opens up and what it wants to be. We're going to get into the uh, questions that um, I sent over uh, before this, but something that I've kind of liked to start with writing conversations lately, whether it's a podcast or just, you know, people uh, chatting over drinks as, you know, we've gotten to do more so now that the world's opening up again, is sort of just what this, you know, last year and a half has been like uh, for us creatively. Everyone kind of shudders at just like thinking about it and how uh, not productive, you know, most of us have been. But I like the question because people either say, you know what, I've actually been pretty productive in getting things done. And that's, you know, like nice to hear, even if you're someone who's never, you know, ha or hasn't written since March, 2020, which I know there are more than one. Um, but then if, if it's the other way, it's like, oh, I haven't done a goddamn thing and I can't think about writing right now, which makes me sad. It's also like, all right, we're, no one's in this alone. So uh, mm. it's sort of what, uh, and we published a couple of your great poems in uh, December um, as well. Uh, but just sort of what have the last, you know, 16 or so months been for you, like for you as a writer? That's a beautiful and ginormous question. <laughs> and I'm going to do my best to give a summary. I think the first thing that comes to mind is the ways in which I think this year allowed us to go underground in some ways. 
Um, so I think for me as a writer, so much change happened behind the scenes in this way that I don't know if I've ever had a year that's been quiet in this particular way, meaning I love the world and I love people. And I think this year was a particular gift in letting us sort of go inward and get to say like, I'm spending this time um, really on the page. Uh, what a joy when the world is open to be drawn out to um, events and to you know shows and all the beautiful things. But I think there is a way in which the year sort of kept saying, go back to the page for me, at least like come back, come back here, see what, see what's changing, see what's shifting and just sort of the necessity of that. So it's a huge question though. Um, I think I'm still finding ways to articulate what the year meant as many of us are. Um, you know, how do, how do we talk about it when so much of it feels like it occurred for me in a wordless place, the change that happened. Right. Now, for your writing, did your writing routine change very drastically from pre-pandemic to once we found ourselves in the the droves of this year? Um, or were you mm -hmm. always someone who is, you know, wrote at home, like away from people? Or were you one of the, you know, coffee shop writers who had to scramble <laughs> and figure out, you know, how to, how to be creative now mm -hmm. that you can't leave your place? Well, I think the biggest thing for me is that I changed location. So I came back home to Chicago for a big portion of the year where I grew up. Um, and so that was an um, amazing thing to see how just being in this, in my hometown near Lake Michigan, I, I grew up in Chicago, how that sort of to return to have a sort of homecoming um, was huge. So many things shifted. I'm a super morning, early morning person, and I got to indulge that. Um, my morning routines just seem to get more and more elaborate, <laughs> joyfully so. <laughs> um, but I do, I, I know a lot of people talked about how routine I think about ritual a lot. I'm, I'm training as a ritualist. And so I think that um, ritual does help us anchor, especially in times of grief and change. So I think my rituals and my, my routines got a little bit more elaborate. <laughs> awesome. I'm so glad you brought up ritual because that's going to go into you know some more of my, uh, my questions later, yeah. especially about boxing. Um, and I know when you and I were exchanging emails, talking about setting, getting you on the show, uh, you mentioned the evolution you've uh, gone through in your life of being a non-sports nerd, <laughs> utterly terrified of gym class. Mm. Um, as a kid, I'm interesting. What were your relationship? What was your relationship to sports and gym class like as a kid? I'm so glad I get to invite like young self into the room. <laughs> my Please, like yeah. eight and nine year old self. Um, because I've been thinking about that time of my life actually a lot, mm -hmm. uh, specifically this experience. <laughs> gym class, I think third grade, Mr. Schiff was the gym teacher, bless him, watching everyone around me able to make a basket playing basketball. And I remember being so frustrated, unable to do it. Everyone else can make a basket. I was the kid that just couldn't get the basket in. And Mr. Schiff lifted me up like, <laughs> and so that I could make a basket. And it was utterly beautiful and humiliating all at once. Um, but I think about that moment because that's often how I felt in gym classes and in sports as a kid, just like, it was so hard for me. I loved being physical. I loved moving my body, but I just remember feeling like, oh, this thing comes easy to some people. And then it doesn't come easy to me. Right. Um, so as a kid, I have a lot of memories of like, the kickball just like coming straight to my face and having no impulse to block it like <laughs> just like standing there I had this memory in high school the ball like hitting me in the face and the gym teacher just looking at me like you know so I've come a long way but that was as a kid just super not not my forte at all right have you written any anything about the the moment of Mr. Schiff lifting you up <laughs> um, no Terry but now I feel like I have to. I kind of <laughs> think you have to <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, there's a beautiful piece in there somewhere you're so right <laughs> were you ever able to make a basket uh on your own you know I I call myself an inconsistent now like I was just throwing axes actually for father's oh, wow. day with my dad and I like either get a bullseye or I completely fail like it never okay. it, like it's one or the other so I remember Eventually, I think I was able to get baskets in my life. Um. Right. I didn't know you had some axe throwing experience. We're going to yeah, have to work into the, into, the, uh, very, into the questions. Very little, yeah. I will say. Right. Well, yeah, I was, uh, I, 
I hesitate to say I was the opposite of that because I was definitely someone who, you know, struggled in sports in comparison to my athletes who are better at sports. But I was obsessed with, you know, sports, especially basketball, as you can see from the framed, <laughs> illustrated <laughs> 90s NBA prints that, you know, adorn my office where yeah. I record this uh, this podcast. Um, but there is such an obsession uh, of such a big obsession that played such a central role in my childhood, which I know we talk about the childhood love of the game and sports all of the time. Since that wasn't exactly your experience with them, uh, what were some of the obsessions of your childhood uh, that sort of, you know, filled um, that well of being a kid? Oh, another great question. Um, yeah, I think first off, what I want to say is what, another thing I want to add is the way in which you, like if we had been friends as children, I remember it feeling like everyone could speak this beautiful language. And I was like, I want to learn that language. So mm -hmm. I would think the languages that I felt fluent in as a young kid and what I really thought about a lot was I was reading from a super young age. I mean, I, I think there is a real I feel very, very lucky to have sort of had this through line in my life of reading and writing and poetry. I was really lucky to have a third grade teacher who um, taught poetry and that's sort of how I, how I fell in love with it. So I was the baby, like reading books upside down. Um, I would just immediately gravitated towards the word. But the bigger obsession, I think, maybe not obsession, but I was like, as a young kid, obsessed with these big life questions. Like even then, there's this story of me going to the children's, uh, no, the field museum as a kid and seeing the child mummy and just being like, what? Like death? Like what? Like, what does that mean? I don't understand. And just really wanting and being curious about these like pretty big existential questions. So I wasn't like a relaxed, chill child. I was like pretty anxious. And the page was actually a place in which I was like, oh, I can ask these huge questions about like death. And this comes back to sports because I think a question I, I had even as a kid was like, what does it mean to have a body? Like, how, what does that mean that we get to have these vessels? Like, how does that, what do I do with that knowledge? So I think the page was like the first place I could really feel that and, and explore that. Yeah, that is super beautiful. What was your third grade teacher's name? Pat Cleveland. She's one of my dearest friends. I really? am about to take a walk with her. Um, one of my favorite poets and just, uh, I have so much, so much awe of her. That's amazing. Cause I was going to say, I think we could have been friends. Cause while I was <laughs> obs obs obsessing over just the, the watching and playing of sports, um, my third grade teacher was uh, one of my bigger influences um, and always, you know, put, you know, a pencil in my hand and, you know, got me reading, you know, books about sports and, you know, that's how they get you. Like I, so I was a stubborn kid. and was like, I don't like reading, you know, books are boring <laughs> while, while just inhaling anything, you mm. know, um, about, uh, you know, sports are my favorite, you know, heroes as I could. So I'm like, oh, I'm actually kind of a bookworm now. <laughs> and her name was Susan Gonzalez. And I have to, you know, uh, I eventually wrote an essay to finish my MFA oh. that uh, I can trace all of this back to totally being Mrs. Gonzalez's fault. <laughs> that I ended up pursuing <laughs> writing full time and went to grad school for it. So that's um, so beautiful. And I think as I'm teaching now, it's just like deep honoring, right? Like um, deep honoring to the teachers that, uh, gave us those tools and um I used to bring Pat like a folded up poem every day yeah. <laughs> so I definitely wouldn't be here you know where I am without her awesome yeah well uh send her a, a thank you from the under review when you see <laughs> her later today because we, we appreciate <laughs> I the absolutely will according to the under review and we do like to think that our endorsement carries a lot of weight here uh you are one hell of a boxing poet um so looking back on your writing life now what do you think some of the earlier signs were that boxing was a sport you'd write about one day. And you've mentioned that a little bit of just sort of, you know, asking yourself as a kid, what does it mean to have a body and to fill this vessel? And what is the purpose of this vessel? And I found boxing is a very beautiful sport where questions of the body are often asked. Some of my favorite writing is uh, writing about boxing. Um, there's some endless amount of great boxing books, but I'm just curious to sort of hear how, how you came to boxing, um, its relationship to poetry, and just how those two passions you have are in conversation with one another. 
That's such a beautiful question. I'm going to start with the first part. And so then maybe you can guide me if I get. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) I think the first thing is I would have never guessed if you told me that's like my first impulse to that question. If you were to say you you would be a boxer or you'd be writing about boxing, I would have been like, okay, like my seventh grade self who could barely run a mile. I would have been like, okay, Terry, (laughs) like, mm, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what crystal ball you're looking into. Um, But now looking back, I think intensity is um, like concentrated intensity is something that does feel like always present in my life. Um, And I think boxing allows you to be incredibly focused in this way um, and intense in this way that few other things in my life um, in in a sort of an embodied way has danced maybe now. Mm -hmm. uh, But I think that's my first impulse is just the intensity I always carried as a kid and that there was a way to channel that. And then the second part is I think a lot, I spent a lot of time in high school wanting to be smaller. I mean, so many women and femme identifying people were like, how do we take up less space? Like, how do I become more palatable? I'm too much. I'm too much. Um, And I think boxing was one of the first places where I was like, Oh, I can be enormous. Like I'm encouraged to be as big as possible. Um, So I think my high school self would be pleasantly surprised that I was able to sort of, just as I've been thinking about my life, which is like, um, I don't know many women or femme people who like didn't have a moment in maybe a few, but very few where there wasn't this pressure to be smaller in some capacity or like to just make ourselves more palatable or like boxing is the opposite, right? It's like, you are messy. There's like blood and sweat and you are like, you fail publicly, you get hit in the face. There's it's so vulnerable and, and it's, you're seen so clearly. So I think my high school self would have been like, I think she would have been shocked that I was able to like find myself in a place where I could take up space in that way. Um, which isn't to say the boxing world, which I'm now writing about, doesn't have its challenges, right. In, Mm -hmm. in that regards. But I do think that, um, yeah, that it, it probably felt unimaginable to me at 16 that I could, you know, take up space and, and, um, you know, not be shrinking, trying to shrink or be smaller. Right. When did you start boxing? I started boxing when I moved to New York. I was a baby, like 22. Um, I, yeah, had just moved to the city and my brother actually, who's an awesome boxer, uh, was like, Hey, I'm doing these title boxing classes. Um, so I started out at this, like one of those studios that was like, you know, you go for an hour. And I remember I hit the bat. It was like one punch. And I was like, what is this feeling? <laughs> like, I've never felt this before. Oh my gosh. Like how, how have I, I don't know. There was just this click of, Oh, I, I want this in my life. Like, I want to know how to do this. I want to know everything. Right. Um, and it sort of unspiraled from there. And I found different, different gyms that sort of continued to teach me. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, that just reminded me of one night. I, this had to have been, you know, six or seven years ago at this point. But, um, you know, those little sort of, uh, you know, speed bags they have on those machines yeah. and bars. And Definitely. For, <laughs> for years, I would just see, you know, like total bros, you know, punching that thing as hard as they could and just, mm-hmm. you know, making fun of guys for that. Um, I was back here in Minneapolis with a childhood friend of mine and we're getting, you know, drinks and catching up and we just decided to do it just randomly <laughs> for the first time. I was like, all right, whatever. So we put a dollar in and then I punched it as hard as I could. And it, kind of connected maybe not but like the score wasn't embarrassing and I was like oh that yes. felt amazing like I get oh, it feels why this so good now yeah so the speed bag's hard too I mm-hmm. mean I remember the first time you actually hit a rhythm and you're just sitting there for an for hours just everyone's watching as you can't quite get it and then you finally find yourself in the rhythm of it um and actually to that point I will say I had never hit anything I was lucky enough to have lived a life in which like I had never really thrown a punch. Um, and, and there, I remember growing up, like, boy, all, I remember just boys like yelling and screaming and like digging in the dirt. And there was this wildness, I think, in just hitting something as hard as you can, um, right. in a safe setting that it is intoxicating and just totally, it really gets you. Yeah. I think I'm going to cancel the rest of my day and run to the nearest boxing gym. Cause <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that kind of like it. comes back to what we started talking about. Like you do, working on the speed bag for hours before getting a rhythm kind yeah. of that just 
calls back to you trying to make a basket over and over and yes. over again and you know failing publicly which I think Absolutely. is the most beautiful thing about sports uh, is, it is. The, it's just super transparent public yeah. failure. It is. And it gets to be yours. I think right. that's sort of a, something I repeat to myself um, as like my athletic life moves and ebbs and flows and different activities and sports come and go in my life. It's like, it gets to be about you and your relationship to your body and whatever else you connect to in that space. And yeah. um, I think it makes especially for someone like me, where I think I've gotten sports have come into my life through persistence and joy, like wanting to learn, not because it's natural that, um, yeah, that the relationship you have to that gets to totally be yours. And, um, it took me a long time in the gym to be like, Oh, this is, this is mine now. Like I, I do this because I love it. And it doesn't mean that I have to be the best. It doesn't mean I have to start fighting professionally. I can just really love it. And, you know, you know, feel a piece of myself there. Right. And once you get to that point too, I think it makes it much easier to be a writer when I talk with, <laughs> you know, my, my friends who, you know, have nothing to do with writing or just aren't part of the world. And you talk about the like constant rejections you have to yes. go through all these, you know, essays and poems and short stories that you put, you know, part of your soul into just to have, you know, 40 plus literary magazines. Say, <laughs> no. Yeah. And that's it, like over and over yeah. again. So be like, oh my God, how do you deal with that? And I'm like, it pales in comparison to like sports failures. Like, mm. you know, like, like you can't, the under review can't, you know, hurt someone the way, you know, like failing publicly in front of your friends can, yeah. you know? So as if you've gone through, like, if you've gotten cut from a team before or, you know, airballed a free throw in a game in front of people, you know, like the rejection letter for, literary writing doesn't hurt nearly as bad as yeah. well it's funny I was thinking about that in the questions you asked um because I've been thinking about that a lot in the sense of when something's really hard in my life like a writing thing where I know I'm going to get a certain kind of feedback from somebody or I've gotten a bunch of no's or I'm you know headed to workshop about a poem I'm super tender about I, I say to myself, I'm like Risa you've gotten hit in the face like for fun at six in the morning <laughs> you like you've woken up at 5 30 in the morning right to like in the dark of queens to get to like two different gyms like you you can do this you can hold this and you're resilient and you're strong and you have I mean I have those that conversation and I think something lately I've been thinking about is how different um that pain is right like sometimes it's sort of just the ability to hold the both of like yes I can hold this and sometimes it stings in a different way and like a quiet sort of soul way you're like oh I want this so bad in this like corner of me that's very private um and so then also the rejection can be very private too and so there's a sort of different kind of holding versus this like public failure where everybody sees and they're like it's okay you know like someone will or they don't say that but you're like publicly crying there's a release of it you know you're like okay I went through this everybody saw today is a new day versus you know, a rejection every week, <laughs> you know, right. you're just sort of, I think something I've talked to a lot of writing friends about is like, how do we process that and hold that together? So it's not just this private sort of grappling with it all the time. Right. And there's no really guide for that either. Like, cause mm. you always hear these stories about the, you know, books we love getting rejected by <laughs> not just every publisher, but every publisher more than once. And yes. they eventually found it. And so much of it is a timing thing. And it's, easy to tell your writing friends when they get rejected like well you just worry about (laughs) what you can control and like you you know like we all you know get these but then like once you get that one rejection from either the dream agent or dream press or whoever it's just like the sky is falling Um, yeah and sometimes we can go to sports to sort of like sometimes the best part is I remember in New York like getting a rejection and being like thank goodness for boxing I can go hit a bag so right. it's beautiful the way that those, I don't know, that they also like are so braided together that yeah. we get to be in our bodies and be like, oh, my heart's beating still. <laughs> right. And boxing might be the actual best sport for writers. Now, I didn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have known how to, you know, say that before, you know, this conversation. But now that I'm like thinking about it, I'm like, I feel like any, you know, of my students, your students after like a, a particularly rough workshop or if they get, you know, really, you know, a special piece of them rejected. It's like, all right, heavy bag time. <laughs> well, it's, 
Yeah. Class class field trip to the gym. Um, yeah, that's uh, something that um, I think, you know, we should encourage, you know, all, uh, all writing students to do. I'm going to get out of our heads a little bit, you know, I think even Zoom this year, back to your question about this year of just like, with my students, like, how do we remember to breathe? Like, how do we remember that we're not just these like floating heads in the ether? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that's about uh, halfway through. Um, so we can do the halftime segment if awesome. uh, if you're ready. Do you have a, a piece of, of yeah. writing you've done that you'd like to read for Definitely. our listeners? Let's see. Um, I will read. So this is Canto 4. So uh, it's about four poems into the series I'm currently working on. Uh, and it's called As It Seemed to Me From Listening. My other self I left at the boxing gym's door. She kept walking, husk of a girl, and never looked back. She crossed the street, entered a bookstore, ordered a cup of tea, no caffeine. She was good, is what I mean, and never woke from slumber. No thunderclap across the cheek, no blood tang in the mouth. She slept on in the silence of that other life and curdled, red pen in hand. Her pages turned, her phone blinked with its fishing hook of blue. Mechanical maiden, is she aware of me as she continues on? She opened no door, but kept walking into what she knew. And I, I walked inside. I love that so much. <laughs> Thanks, Carrie. <laughs> Whenever that whole project is done, um, I hope to, you know, see see some of it <laughs> more Definitely. in our in our submissions feed Absolutely. um yeah that is that's so fantastic so yes please um keep uh keep working on that i got this is similar to what we've been talking about so far mm-hmm. and i think we probably even answered it a little bit but i think it's an interesting uh question and just something um that I'd love to hear your take on. I guess we sort of talked about the differences and how boxing and writing can support each other. Mm. What are some of the similarities that you feel between boxing and writing? Oh, this is one of my absolute favorite questions uh, or things to think about. And um, I actually got to write about this for Kiki Petrosino. I don't know if you know her, but um, her poems are amazing. She is one of my professors and just people should check out her work. Um, But we got to write uh, a sort of like like research poetic statement in her class. And so I wrote about boxing, um, the poetics of boxing, essentially. And I love to think about the page as bounded, just like the ring. And so we get the space that we get to work in, uh, within. And so as a writer, I'm constantly thinking about like, how do I infuse words with a sort of kinetic movement? So, um, something I think about a lot is the tools we have as boxers, we have the jab, the uppercut, the cross, the hook, right? As a poet, I have the line, the stanza, I have words, I have line breaks, you know, I have Cesara, I I have all of these tools. So how do I create tension and movement uh, with the page? Also, like like boxers, I think um, boxers are constantly moving through the draft, right, of the fight, like constant training for these like two minute and three minute rounds. Um, and I think that's a really beautiful model to think about is like how much work we do off the page to then eventually have those, those things land um, line by line. Uh, so yeah, I think about that a lot, but also the way a poem has tension within it, just like a boxing fight. Um, so your readers are both able to embody the fight by reading and are also the audience. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, I love the page is bound just like the ring that if that ends up as a tattoo on me at some point, <laughs> I will be, I'll be sure to give you credit. Yeah, please do. <laughs> so you've, you've mentioned um, the evolution that you made from a non-sports nerd terrified of gym class into, you know, this fearless, ruthless boxing poet writing, poem writing, badass have you seen uh, any similar drastic evolutions that may be related or unrelated to that, either in your writing life or just in other areas in your life as you've continued uh, your artistic growth? That's so beautiful. Um, I am so interested that you use the word ruthless because I've been thinking about that too. Like, I think there was this time when I was boxing really intensely um, and then began to write where I was like, 
I want to be ruthless. Like I want all my lines to snap. Uh, like all my life I've been this like tender. I would cry easily, like just felt my own tenderness and my heart. And just like, um, I was like, no, like I'm moving to New York and I'm going to be ruthless and prove this to myself that I can be gritty and resilient. And, you know, boxing taught me so much about, you know, how, how much I can hold and what I'm capable of and um, what I can come back from. Um, but I reread, I, ha- I guess, uh, at least 100 pages of drafts from even my first year of grad school and just how protected those poems are, right? Like how much I have, I'm ducking and weaving in those poems underneath, underneath something and not really fully wanting to show something. Um, and I, as I look at my poems now, and I think even further this year and after this year of the pandemic, just allowing the tenderness to come back, allowing because I know I have those skills and I, I have the ability to throw a metaphorical jab if I need to on the page or in my life, you know, what does that allow me then? How can I surrender and relax and have um, more softness now? Because I, I trust that. I, I look back at those poems and I, there's so much bravado, like, <laughs> and I, and I celebrate that, but it's so much bravado and swagger. And I think I've sort of arrived, hopefully, maybe in a quieter place of like, um, you know, letting, letting whatever the truth of each poem is or of my life sort of be there um, without ducking because right. I trust, because I trust myself. Yeah. I, I relate to so much of that. And I, I think that there is sort of a great, you know, urge to feel like a, a ruthless writer and to, mm. you know, to edit ruthlessly. I have a similar experience, you know, looking back at so much of the stuff I wrote in my first year of grad school and the first semester of grad school. Um, and it's just kind of like, eee, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> but I think there's also a, uh, there's a need to, as like the you're as a, the writer today to, you know, have some tenderness with the writer back then. Um, I don't, I, I don't know um, what your total approach was when you started grad school or how it's come now, but like I started grad school and I talk about this a lot with, uh, with students and, uh, you know, writing friends that I got into an MFA program and I wanted to write literature. And <laughs> yeah. I didn't really allow myself to write anything about sports because I wanted to be taken seriously mm. and I wanted to be, you know, an author and uh, just coming in with sort of a sports background. I'd been working in sports public, pu- public relations for five years before then. Um, it was like, that was where the passion was, but I, mm. it felt like I was trying to get, you know, out of a shell that was actually, you know, like, you know, protecting me and helping me rather than holding me back. And it took some very, you know, talented uh, and helpful professors and uh, classmates to be like, dude, like, (laughs) thank goodness for them. Right. Thank goodness for them. That's thank goodness. What would we do without our our colleagues and our, yeah, I'm so grateful. That's what writing community is the most important thing uh, ever. It's so so funny hearing that because I had sort of like an opposite of experience where I came to my program, um, like, I have this boxing, <laughs> like, right. there is this project that I am working on. And, you know, what people always say about grad school is hopefully you're shocked, like, hopefully something in you yeah. breaks open that rarely you leave making the same kind of work you make coming into the program. But I felt again, that like, protective, that I felt protected by the project where I was like, oh, I came in, here's my plan. I was originally writing these poems and the voices of other women, not necessarily um, my, my story. You know, I was very much like, well, I'll write these kind of characters. And I think part of letting the walls come down was like, oh, I've got to write what happened to me. Like I've got to write, I've got to allow myself to sort of live here more fully and be seen more fully. So it's so interesting that your circle is sort of coming back to sports. And I felt like boxing, there was this bravado shock factor of like, I was a boxer. These things happen. Like I'm going to write about it. Um, And then being like, Oh, I'm like, I hurt sometimes and I'm messy and I like, am not always ruthless. And you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, you know, 
give you want the whole give and take as you know like you can this isn't just a, a thing that sports grants you it's you know a lot of different like categories but I just start when and I write like primarily nonfiction uh, in my program you did have to write fiction nonfiction and poetry so oh. I, ha- I have some poems in a box oh. it's where they'll stay um, <laughs> <laughs> I respect the box. <laughs> um, so yeah uh, may- maybe I'll bust out uh some poetry, you know, maybe later this year, later in life. You never, never, you never say never in nonfiction. And this applies to everything, but I would sort of, the question I would ask myself, you know, if I wanted to, you know, write about whatever, you know, sports related subject that was, you know, um, that just kept, you know, like uh, speaking to me or something, I just like couldn't, you know, stop thinking about the question I would sort of approach or use to approach that topic is to sort of like, how is this, you know, explain the world or help to explain Mm. how a writer, you know, moves through the world or help to explain how someone else might move through the world. Um, And I think that's a question that we're often asking, especially in viewing and writing of sports that even if we don't know that we're asking it because it's just such a clear, you know, defining activity of our place in the world and how we move through it, you know, literally and figuratively, you know, like literally in the sense of boxing, but also, mm. you know, how that, you know, reflects to the page. So that's just really beautiful to think about. Yeah, definitely. Um, and another thing I do love about uh, your poems, and this is something that I didn't really start thinking about until grad school as well. I have a shout out to the poet, uh, Deborah Keenan, who is my first uh, professor in my grad school program, who just loved titles and used, had so many different exercises around titles and stuff. And I always sort of would, you know, scoff at a title or, you know, forget it once I'd, you know, go through it. Um, but just how, you know, titles can really set the tone for a piece, how they can inspire a piece you're working on. Um, you know, one of her activities was I'd pick a line from a poem that I loved. Mm-hmm. And she said, now you have to write a poem with this line as the title oh, of great. your poem. And you, you, you have two great poems um, in ours. One is uh, a little, I, I would not say, I was about to say obvious, which doesn't like, <laughs> like traditional, you know, bless the yeah. boxing ring was a, you know, traditional, you know, title and also fits very well with that beautiful poem. It's why we use it as the first uh, poem for the first piece for that issue as it's like, this is blessing the boxing ring and Beautiful. blessing the issue. And now that you've, you know, given me the great metaphor as the page as the ring, I'm like, oh my God, there's even more <laughs> meanings. We're discovering after we even published it, you know, the, <laughs> it's mm. the, that part of it's never done, but your other poem that we also uh, nominated for a push cart, uh, some things you can't understand by punching harder was just something I know when we saw it, it was like, all right, I'm reading this poem right away. <laughs> and, and that's, the, you know, you submit a piece for work or your the title is the first thing the reader interacts with. Um, so that one, I'm just like, oh, like, shit, I, what am I not going to understand here? What will I learn? Um, mm. With that title specifically, what does it mean to you? And do you think about titles with writing? Um, I don't know, maybe this is the first time you've my weird question. (laughs) No, I love this question. And I want to thank you again for that nomination and for um, letting that poem uh, bless the, (laughs) bless the issue, which is, um, I think my greatest dream for any of any of these poems. That title works on so many levels. But the first thing I think about is um, something a coach said to me, which was like, you can't make your way through a round by just punching really hard. Um, because in the, I, I would come in and I would just be this heavy hitter. I was scared, right? It was totally just fear in the beginning. I mean, I never got, well, like maybe I got a little less scared, but mostly I think the way I reacted to the fear was like, I'll just hit really hard and I'll sort of blindly hit. Um, and I would exhaust myself in the first round. And I wasn't really watching. I wasn't really watching my sparring partner, like the move of the shoulders or like where their, what their body was doing that might clue me in for the next for the next move. So I think it was this really big lesson of like, you have to slow down and watch, which is really a lesson for all aspects of my life, but you can't always, you know, sometimes maybe you need to go in there and hit really hard, but mostly like, how do you slow down um, and watch carefully? And so that, you know, you're not just wild in there and, and sort of exhausting yourself. And on the other level, I think that poem Um, is also about a conversation I had with a friend, which was like, 
it's so much more terrifying to imagine having my period and bleeding in front of these men on this stage than it is getting hit in the face. (laughs) And so like the magic of that, of like, oh, my body does this magical thing. And yet like, um, is, is how do I explain that in this space? Or like, is there room to even have a bleeding body in this way, in this space? Um, so yeah, I think that title is about like, how do you watch and surrender um, in some capacity um, and slow down? And then also like, you know, what does it mean to have a femme body in, in that space that often was like a lot of men were on the stage sort of like right. watching us. So that was scary. I was like, I'm terrified. I'm, I'm really afraid of that <laughs> happening. For sure. Um, so in that poem's instance, did the title come first? Did it come mm-hmm. later, somewhere in the middle? I think that that actually, that's a great question. Um, titles, I do think about titles a lot. Um, and I think that title was actually originally in the poem. And okay. I think went through, Kiki may have looked at the poem. I think classmates may have looked at that poem, but I think I ended up, and that poem changed a lot. Like it was a hustle for right. a little while. And then it, it, you know, you can still see <laughs> the ghost of that in the couplets. Um, and then I think I, that line wasn't fitting. And I was like, oh, this actually is, Right. is the lead in because it's, it's sort of the whole poem revolves around that. I'm so glad you, um, you asked that question. <laughs> For sure. No, I, I love titles. I love really long titles. Um, I went to, uh, um, it's, it's crazy that we're in minute 45 of this and it's the first time I'm mentioning Hanif Abdurraqib because yes. I just, I lo- adore his work. And I, I made the, I wouldn't call it a mistake, but I went to a public book club that was discussing his essay collection, some things you, <laughs> or not so that's that's your poem uh his uh his uh essay collection they can't kill us until they kill us and you know how public book clubs are sometimes Mm. the conversation's great and sometimes it's just really really not and some woman uh raised her hand at one point and criticized how long the titles were and like i wouldn't say i lost it but (laughs) Uh, a friend of mine was with me. I'd have to a- ask him again, but he was like, you definitely made me a little uncomfortable, but like the right amount of uncomfortable when you responded yeah. to her. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love just sort of the, you know, versatility um, that titles can, can bring. And so- sometimes like I'll be trying too hard to make like a full, you know, paragraph, a title of something. And it's like, maybe this is just in the um, prose, dude. But um, yeah, well, I think titles, I mean, more and more, um, I think thinking about like listening to the poem of like what, sometimes the title is really, really surprising. I feel like I'm often surprised by actually what the title of of the piece is. Um, And thinking about like doors or like thresholds, which brings us back to ritual is like, how are we entering the space is how I think about, is how I think about my titles more and more like when is it a gate is it a threshold like is it you know is it scattered with roses is it an iron gate like how are people entering the work so um yeah but I do love lifting a line that gets edited out that's a great that happens to a lot of my work and then it gets put as the title it's like the ghost of the first draft gets to live and still be there yeah and it's just funny because like I would I'm always wondering like how much is the reader really thinking about you know the title of mm. of this piece uh probably not as much as I'm thinking about it even if they think about it a lot because yeah. you know, I'm going to bed dreaming of them uh, and sometimes but, that's yeah. unconscious too I mean sometimes it's like a title sort of it's like doesn't you aren't consciously like oh that's a wild title but then right. it kind of it creeps into the whole poem you're not even realizing how much it um mm. affects everything right and also in is convenient in this case talking about boxing as title is also a boxing term <laughs> it's and <true. laughs> many sports terms as well um, I, I want to get back to ritual which um you just mentioned so you know um something i i also learned like early in you know my writing when i started taking writing more seriously is you know or a big part of ritual is a big part of the creative process no matter mm-hmm. what you know your your craft is and boxing is obviously a sport with a ton of history uh really good and really bad history Mm -hmm. um and but ritual has always been you know it's you know it's it's similar to baseball in a way where you know ritual is a big you know part of the whole spectacle and the whole experience so it does has being a you know active boxer and poet and writer 
sort of changed your perception of ritual is, um, you know, boxing ritual and writing ritual separate um, f- for, for you in both those, uh, um, you know, uh, art forms or is it another aspect in which they are both in conversation with each other? Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I think the first, hmm, the first thing that comes to mind is like how we ritualize fear. Like how do we walk ourselves into the ring? And so you see, and a a lot of my friends are like, you watch boxers on TV, like there's a song, right? Or like, and you have something draped around you and then you shed that covering. Um, And a lot of people like will kiss the ground or pray, or Mm -hmm. there's these ways we walk ourselves into the ring. And so I think the question is like, how do we then walk ourselves onto the page, especially when we're writing about something where there's trauma or there's pain or even joy, like the blank page is terrifying. You don't know who you're going to encounter. Like you don't know what in you you're going to encounter or what in your memory you're going to encounter, which is the joy of it, right? Which is why we come there. But I think it's, it can be really scary. Um, So I think for me, I have like my rituals, right? Or like how I begin my writing practice, I think help me to sort of anchor into these like steps that I can rely on when there's something I need to write. I know I need to write that poem and everything in me is like, oh no, don't go there. And it's like, no, go there. But how do I, what do I shed, right? What what song am I listening to? What's my walk-on song? Right. Um, yeah, so I guess I think about the ritualizing of fear, like how do we approach and, and honor, like write and honor that and say, um, that's going to be there always. Like there's not a boxer I know that's like, oh, I just, I'm not afraid at all. No, you're afraid every single time, every time you spar, like every time you get in the ring. So finding ways to kind of befriend that and, or if not befriend, at least say you can be near me, like you can be with me on this in my writing and in, in my athletic practice. For sure. That goes right into a question I thought of uh, shortly after we started talking. What's more terrifying, the blank page or another boxer you're about to fight for the first time you know nothing about? Mm. Oh, that is a, a hard question. <laughs> I my like my like tendencies want to is like is to resist the duality of it to be like, well, in both cases, you are still kind of confronting yourself in just very different ways, right? Like so even mm-hmm. if it's with someone I've never fought before, I forget who said this, this isn't mine, but like you, you, every time you fight somebody else, you're really fighting yourself and seeing yourself in this new way, which is really similar to writing. Um, I think at this point in my life, though, I would have to say uh, fighting somebody I haven't been training sounds terrifying and I um, haven't been sparred in a long, long time. So I think the page, I'd rather have my ass kicked. Can I say ass? Absolutely. <laughs> I'd rather have my ass kicked by. We have the, we have the explicit tag on this podcast Amazing. for a reason. Oh, good. Yeah, well, I wish um, I'd known that earlier. <laughs> oh, damn it. All right. Well, we'll just, we'll keep yeah. recording. Um, so you'll have to get as yeah. <laughs> colorful language into yeah, the beautiful. next 10 or so minutes as possible. Um, so yeah, that's the message to all, all you writing students. Uh, the blank page is scary. It's not as scary as fighting, though. Um, yeah, not as especially scary. <laughs> if you're one of Rice's students. You can't. You can't. Uh, it's a shit excuse. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So get get after the blank page. It's scary, yeah. but it's not not that scary. Yeah. Um, a question I do want to ask you um, before before we wrap up um, is switching gears a little bit to fiction because I know you're also an accomplished fiction writer. Um, I haven't had the pleasure of reading any of your fiction, but since you are someone who has written about boxing and I know also mm-hmm. writes fiction, I want to ask uh, or just talk about this with you a little bit. Um, I think fiction writing specifically for adults, uh, not young adults or children, but fiction writing geared towards adults is a pretty unexplored part of contemporary literature. There's, you know, there, there you'll see, you know, novels come out, um, you know, Last year, The Cactus League by Emily Nemens was great. Um, we've had uh, Chris McCormick, the author who wrote uh, The Gimmicks um, last two years ago, which is a, a great novel that talks about the professional professional wrestling and the Armenian genocide. Um, and it's weaved together in a lot of beautiful ways. But I just kind of feel like once we get to a certain age, we sort of stop writing uh, you know, fiction or fictive dreams about the sports world. And that's maybe because one of my mentors has said that's because, you know, sports can't be scripted. So uh, 
sports are poetic naturally. Um, but if you are trying, when you're writing fiction, you are writing a script, uh, essentially. Um, and that I think therein lies a challenge. So I want to ask you if we have any fiction projects of yours that we might be able to look forward to that, you know, might feature a young boxer or just the, the boxing world. And also if you have any thoughts on why uh, that might be that we don't see as much uh, fiction for adults grounded in the sports world. So my short answer to is there a fiction is yes. Um, My long answer is that I think the poetry manuscript I'm working on right now about boxing has felt like this world building and has felt um, episodic and narrative in a lot of ways, like pretty narrative work. So I think I can feel the way those stories are there and I'm excited to write them. And I also have felt like writing these poems feel like the groundwork um, to sort of telling this one story and then getting to see the ways it gets to emerge in all these these other ways. And I think about fiction too, very much like a poem, the way that I write feels very, um, I guess they don't always feel super separate to me is what I mean, but, um, which is a joy, right? To be like, well, it's all a poem. It's always a poem, the lines are longer. I know there's a bunch of differences, but the experience of writing it um, feels similar to poetry. And that other question is, is really hard. I don't know if I have an answer for that. I know that um, the first thing that comes to mind is maybe just the embodied, the embodied experience of uh, sports and the sort of wordlessness that occurs in that space. I know for me and maybe why it took me so long to um, feel like the poems that I what well, this is constantly changing, right? Like next week I might be like, Carrie, just kidding. Like, I don't think those were the poems. <laughs> I actually think that those are not the poems, but it took a long time for me to feel like the poems were doing the sport justice or the way that I had experienced it. And I think part of the magic of sports or any physical activity, right? Like whatever that is, is that it takes you to this place that is kind of beyond language. There's a silence. Like when you're really in a game or you're, I I would imagine not having played baseball or basketball, that the silence sort of breaks, it breaks you open in a very kind of, a kind of way that's wordless. So what, how then as writers, do we find the words um, that do that justice? It's really hard. Right. And um, I think it's a great question because I hope that we get to keep writing about it and, and reading about it. Yeah, and I think that that question too is tough to get past because a lot of our, you know, biggest, you know, most serious moments that um, take place in or in or around sports that are, you know, really emotionally moving or whatever, they're always sort of the ones that you say, like if someone had, you know, made this up and told me like, this is what's going to happen. I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Like, there's, there's no, <laughs> yeah. there's no way it goes down like that. Um, but then when Absolutely. you, you see it unfold and the, you know, the story is told to you in a way you can't deny um, it's harder, but just since with, you know, re- novels, especially are just tough because it's, you know, it's so much, you know, groundwork and stuff goes into it that I think the easy excuse is to be like, why would I read a novel? I can just go watch 30 for 30 and get to get the visuals and the emotion and all that stuff um, in a way that I know existed uh, rather than that. But um, yeah, I'm not giving up on that. I I want to see more sports novels for adults, um, you know, as well as why and for children too. I don't think there needs to be any, uh, you know, uh, lack there, but you know, it's just, we're, we're, we're here to put more great sports right into the world. And I hope we, yeah. we keep seeing it. And it's such a gift. I mean, I think about the under review, like the gift of that bridge allows like my fifth grade self to be like, oh, here's the book about sports, even though I can't play. And this could be mine too, right? This, mm-hmm. that I am allowed in this space. And so um, just like honoring your work at the under review and, and the work of many writers who are writing about sports and, and the physicality of like, how do we, how, how do we strengthen that bridge so that we can sort of traverse it from either side? If you're naturally like really inclined to reading, how, do, how can you walk through that? And if you are someone who has a kid were like obsessed with sports and felt like reading wasn't, you weren't able to do that or that wasn't encouraged, like how, how can we right. strengthen that bridge is a really important question. For sure. Awesome. Well, uh, before we get out of here, do you have anything that uh, you are ready to promote or anything you want to, you know, put our, uh, our listeners Mm. to? That's a, a beautiful, oh, (laughs) such an invitation. I'm like, oh, an invitation. Um, 
Well, first I want to promote Not Me, which is that um, my friend Tina, who is a, someone I box with, um, has, if anyone's in LA, um, she is um, part of this, their Instagram is Boxing Change for Boxing for Change LA, I think is the Instagram handle. And they're doing really, really great classes in the Los Angeles area to um, uh, raise money for the AAPI community. So I want to plug that real quick. And I will be teaching a class on um, failure as a portal in October, a workshop that will be public if anyone wants to sign up for that. Is that an on online workshop? Yeah, it's online. So all right. Well, th- You're I think, all invited. I think you've got for sure one student. Uh, Amazing. Here. Um, oct- all right. So failure as a portal in yeah, October. Yeah, through the Bardo. Yep. Um, awesome. Uh, I'll be sure to get some links from you and we'll awesome. um, have those dropped in the show notes. Um, and a sticker, I'm going to stop recording and stuff, but stick around for a minute just so we can talk about other things. But um, right, right. <laughs> Raisa, Raisa, yeah, you Raisa, got it. Terry, it's Raisa. so hard. You can do it. It's so hard. I did it. I've been you just, it. you know, I think I've had too much coffee today. Back when we <laughs> mentioned being a morning person, I'm like, I'm the one drinking coffee at 1130 and I still look tired as hell. <laughs> Not at Raisa, all. <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show today. You're so welcome. Really appreciate it. I'm so happy to, you know, get to talk with you for, you know, more than just like a minute or two at a virtual reading um, or whatever. Raisa, uh, thanks again. Thanks so much. Thank you again to my guest, the phenomenal poet in his brilliant mind and the winner of the first annual Under Review Chapbook Contest, Raisa Tolchinsky. Be sure to check out Raisa's poetry, which I've linked to in the show notes, and be on the lookout for number one deadliest coming to you from Under Review Chapbook Press, which we will be releasing as soon as we can uh, after, after issue five. Uh, If you're listening to this on the day it drops, it is Thursday, October 28th, 2021. There's still a few days to get your submissions in to be considered for issue five. So slide into our submittables. Don't hesitate and send us your work today. So thank you again, dear listener, for tuning in to this episode of Under Review Radio. I will be back next week on Friday for the second episode of Friday Reads with my friend and fellow poet and fellow writer, I should say. Uh, We talked with Raisa about I'm not a poet, but the wonderful poet, Jalen Bootsy. Thank you so much. Have a great day. See you next time. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Share the show with a friend. Have a great weekend. 